For four long years, Democrats and their media lapdogs have relentlessly attacked Donald Trump. They condemned his every idea, opposed his every initiative, dismissed his considerable accomplishments, denounced him as a racist and a white supremacist, tormented him with the outrageous lie that he was a Russian asset, and launched mendacious investigations all designed to destroy his presidency. As columnist David Limbaugh wrote, they've harassed, bullied, impeached, and censored him. Now, all of a sudden, they're appealing for serenity and universal reconciliation. They want and expect without objection, harmony, fellowship, and unity. With Joe Biden as their new national avatar, they demand an immediate halt to the divisive identity politics that they themselves championed. They want an end to the war on hatred that they waged. In other words, we must all pledge allegiance to a new woke age of enlightened discourse. A political armistice, if you will, will now be strictly enforced. Do Democrats and the media deserve a truce? Not a chance. They have earned only our contempt. Attorney, Fox News legal analyst, and two-time New York Times bestselling author. This is The Brief with Greg Jarrett. Hello, everyone. I'm Greg Jarrett, and welcome to The Brief. By now, you've all heard me talk about my pillow and how it's literally changed my life. I met Mike Lindell. He fit me for my very own my pillow, and I haven't stopped raving about it since then. They won't go flat. You can wash and dry them as many times as you want, and they maintain their shape. Made in the USA. If you don't have a my pillow or know somebody who doesn't, now is the time because there's a limited time that Mike is offering his premium my pillows. Yes, the one that started it all for his lowest price ever. You can get a queen size premium my pillow regularly $69.98 for only $29.98. That's a $40 savings. Kings are only $5 more. Folks, now is the time to buy. Not only are you getting the lowest price ever, but they're the best Christmas gifts ever. $29.98 for a queen size premium my pillow. Buy now and Mike will extend his 60-day money-back guarantee to March 1st, 2021. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the Radio Listener's Square. There you'll find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all of the MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream Bed Sheets, the MyPillow Mattress Topper, and MyPillow Towel Sets. Or call 800-605-8765. And use promo code GREG, G-R-E-G-G. Now, back to the brief. The instant that Donald Trump was declared the winner of the presidential election in 2016, the mainstream media lapsed into the equivalent of septic shock. They were stunned and confused. Some even weeped on camera that fateful night. How could it be? How did it happen? They were absolutely certain that Hillary Clinton would be coronated. After all, the media elite had anointed her as their chosen candidate. They worked diligently and tirelessly 
to get her elected. But as the election returns poured in, their dreams that night turned into a fiendish nightmare. Donald Trump would be president. Quickly, their disbelief turned to anger and then to vengeance. From that moment on, the media launched an unprecedented four-year attack on Donald Trump. The media, together with their partners in the Democratic Party, worked sedulously to destroy Trump and drive him from office. Every story about him was framed in the negative. His actions were demonized, his policies disparaged, his words distorted, his very existence vilified. The media dedicated themselves to portraying Trump as a maniacal blend of Frankenstein and Darth Vader. Press conferences were consumed by belligerent questions shouted by reporters who openly argued with him. A torrent of wild accusations descended on the new president. He's a tyrant, a bigot, a racist, a white supremacist, a tax cheat, an extortionist, a crook, and a Russian agent. He killed hundreds of thousands of Americans with a virus, they claimed. Surely he'll face murder charges. And the more that Donald Trump fought back, and he did fight back vigorously, the more it enraged his enemies, the more it inflamed their hatred. And don't be fooled. The hatred directed at Trump is the same hatred and contempt that the media and Democrats have for you. At every turn, journalists and pundits predicted Trump's imminent demise with absolute confidence. He's finished now. He'll resign in disgrace. Impeachment and removal from office is a foregone conclusion. He'll be arrested, cuffed, frog-marched out of the Oval Office and tossed in the Hooskow. The list of prophecies goes on and on, day in and day out, for four long, agonizing years. I've seen serial killers get better treatment. But now suddenly, in the aftermath of the 2020 election, Democrats and the liberal media are demanding that their lies, their deceit, their craziness be magically forgiven and forgotten. Poof, it's all gone. They're beseeching everyone to embrace a new political renaissance of goodness, gentleness, and warmth of spirit. Respect will supplant hatred, comedy will replace malice. Division and dissension are hereby banished. Harmony and unity in support of Joe Biden. That's the new mandate. And by the way, if you don't conform strictly to the new woke decree of civility, if you don't treat Biden with sweetness, empathy, and kindness, there will be consequences. So you're all forewarned. And don't forget, Democrats in the media have already composed and published their growing blacklist of people who served or supported Donald Trump. They'll be punished in due course. But now your name will be added to a new list if you fail to abide by the new edict. You'll be canceled. It's the politics of revenge. Here's my unsolicited advice. Do not capitulate. Don't be intimidated. Don't be bullied. Ignore the threats. If you think Joe Biden is wrong or incompetent, say so vigorously. 
If you regard his efforts to raise taxes as unsound, speak up. If he tries to take away your guns or restrict your religious practice or suppress your speech or pack the U.S. Supreme Court or end oil and gas production or bankrupt the nation with the new Green Deal or deliver more pallets of cash to the Iranians, argue against it and speak loudly. In a word, resist. Don't surrender, because that's what they want you to do. Of course, the left-wing media is already doing its part to gin up the tea and sympathy routine. Have you caught any of the three news conferences held by Joe Biden since the election? If you're looking for a good laugh, you'll find them on YouTube. So-called journalists embarrass themselves, lobbing one softball question after another. Actually, it was more like T-ball. It's the kind of love fest that would make Cupid blush. If you want to know Joe Biden's views on foreign policy, immigration, education, taxation, trade, street violence, or gun control, you know, the kind of stuff that most Americans actually care about, don't count on the press corps to ask those important questions. They won't do it. What about Hunter Biden's corrupt business deals that allegedly involve dear old dad? <laughs> Reporters will not ask Biden about that. Instead, they want to know what kind of ice cream Joe ordered at a recent stop. Seriously, they asked that question. They also asked him about his dogs. Really? Whereas Donald Trump made himself available to the media nonstop, Joe Biden continues to hide out. When he does emerge from his basement bunker to hold the occasional presser, it's as short as a miniskirt in the 1960s. Only questions by pre-screened journalists are permitted. Biden doesn't choose the reporters himself, of course. There's some question about his capacity. So his aides do it for him. It's all pre-planned. The questions carefully choreographed. The answers preordained. You may have noticed that most of the questions invite Biden to bash Trump. Every question seems to contain some form of the following phrase. Tell us again what an awful person Donald Trump is. The other day when Joe Biden announced some of his cabinet picks, the media gushed like love-struck sixth graders. Take a listen. I'd like to start on the historic nature of some of, of Joe Biden, the president-elect's picks. The team that, that Biden has put forward is incredibly qualified, perhaps the most qualified cabinet that we're ever going to have. A historic appointment. History-making. A historic first. That's historic. Mm -hmm. Also historic. Historic. It's another historic uh, pick there. Is there any one of these picks in particular that kind of stands out, out to you? I think they're all outstanding. They are experienced. They are well-prepared. Boy, how refreshing is that? And it's very refreshing. I was talking to a Democrat who just said this also felt like the Avengers. It felt like we're being rescued from this, <laughs> this craziness that we've all lived through from the last four years. And now here are the superheroes to come and save us all. This is like being at the end of the Wizard of Oz. Well, this is like the 1980s Celtics basketball team. Trump really had the Z team. This is really the A team. Uh, the A team for the country. They are manifestly experienced and competent. The word competence has been thrown around, qualified. Very coherent. Calmness. Deep knowledge. Kindness. Deep commitment. Professionalism. 
system is back. The expertise is back. And it's also nice to take a look at a group of appointees that don't look like a restricted all-white country club. Jake Sullivan, as the leader of the band, is the perfect choice. She is perfectly suited. With Alejandro, you're going to get competent, gifted leader, kind, thoughtful, brilliant. I can't think of a better person. Let me get your thoughts about Tony Blinken. I can't think of anybody better. I think tonight, maybe I'll be able to start going to sleep. I mean, all I have to say is everybody look up because it's a different way of living now, right? I mean, it it is. I was ready to sing the whole Wiz soundtrack today. (laughs) It's really hard to get your head around how the media has devolved into shameless suck ups toward Joe Biden or, for that matter, any Democrat. Juxtapose that with the disparate, fuming treatment of Donald Trump for the last four years. It doesn't just scream political bias. It cements the media's disgraceful reputation as liberal sycophants who are devoid of any professional conscience or scruples. They'll almost never ask Biden a difficult or challenging question because many of them fear he can't cognitively handle it. And the rest are worried that if they ask a tough question, they'll get evicted from the next pre-screened news conference. So prepare yourself. Challenging questions will be a rare occurrence in a Biden presidency. As law professor Jonathan Turley put it, the appearance of a reporter asking an actual substantive question of Biden is like watching Bigfoot riding the Loch Ness Monster through a conference room. But then, just the other day, it did happen. Bo Erickson of CBS News had the audacity to ask a real question. He asked if Biden supported the CDC recommendation to keep schools open. Biden became unhinged, unglued, personally attacking the reporter for his impertinence. How dare he ask about an issue that directly affects 50 million American kids who attend public schools, not to mention their parents. Bo, what were you thinking? You're finished now. I guarantee that. Erickson will be relegated to the bowels of reporter purgatory. Nice knowing you, pal. When you think about it, it's truly amazing that Biden managed to slide through the entire presidential election without facing any serious, legitimate questions. Until you realize that the media served as both advocates and his protectors. As Jonathan Turley observed, they created a protective cocoon around Father Joe. The press continuously described Trump as an inveterate liar, but Biden? He was simply guilty of a few forgivable gaffes. This is the new marshmallow media, as the press critic Joe Concha put it. Here's another fun fact. Biden's vice presidential pick has never held a news conference since the moment she was selected, not before the election and not since. She's a phantom, a ghost. I'm not sure she even exists. And the media is perfectly okay with that. Imagine if Mike Pence did that. The press would be screaming at the top of their lungs. They'd send in a drone with a microphone and camera or demand that Adam Schiff and Jerry Nadler start impeachment proceedings immediately. If you go back and look at Donald Trump's first press conference after the 2016 election, you will be dumbstruck 
at how the media treated him. Every question was seething with hostility. It was a media mugging. Reporters accused Trump without evidence of being an illegitimate president, a Manchurian candidate installed through the machinations of Vladimir Putin and the Kremlin. In many ways, it marked the public ascendancy of the collusion hoax, the greatest mass delusion in American political history. It was a brazen lie that haunted Trump for the entirety of his presidency, and the mainstream media were instrumental, witting accessories and accomplices to the great hoax. They didn't care about the facts or the evidence. They accepted without question the deceptions peddled by anonymous sources, never bothering to verify or corroborate the information they were fed. That's how lies succeed. They are dependent on media malpractice and a conspicuous lack of professional integrity. Recently, two completely innocent individuals whose lives were ruined by the hoax were back in the news. Trump was the primary victim, to be sure, but General Michael Flynn and Carter Page became what's known as collateral damage. Both were targeted by unscrupulous officials at the FBI and unprincipled prosecutors on special counsel Robert Mueller's team of partisans. So let's talk about them for a few moments. I know Carter Page. I interviewed him for both my books, The Russia Hoax and Witch Hunt. I've long encouraged him to sue the very people who unlawfully spied on him falsely accused him of being a Russian spy, leaked that damning information to the media, violated his constitutional rights, and destroyed his livelihood. Last Friday, Carter Page filed a $75 million lawsuit against the Department of Justice, the FBI, the vainglorious and insufferable James Comey, the devious Andrew McCabe, and the two infamous FBI lovers, Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, all of whom oversaw the Trump-Russia investigation called Crossfire Hurricane. Page also sued former FBI attorney Kevin Kleinsmith, who pled guilty not long ago to falsifying evidence against Carter Page. Three other FBI agents are also named as defendants, Joe Pienka, Stephen Sama, and Brian Outen. All are culpable. Page deserves every penny of the $75 million he's seeking, and let's hope he actually gets it. Compensation is now the only way to right the egregious wrongs done to him by corrupt actors within our own government. On Fox News, Page said he's hoping for real justice in a court of law. It's been a very long battle over four years since this illegal spying was happening, uh, started during the Obama-Biden administration, and it continued for over a year. And I'm uh, after so many crimes have already been uncovered by actually an Obama appointee, uh, Mr. Horowitz, last December. This is uh, it's just a clear, very clear cut case that justice needs to be restored. The saga of Carter Page began in the fall of 2016 when the FBI and Justice Department in the Obama administration secured a secret warrant to wiretap Page. 
who had served briefly as an advisor on the Trump campaign. Comey signed the first warrant and asserted without equivocation that Carter Page is a Russian agent who met with two Kremlin insiders in an improbable plot to steal the 2016 election on behalf of Trump. It was utterly untrue, a nutty fantasy, and James Comey knew it. Yet he assured the FISA court that the evidence he submitted had been duly verified by the FBI. It was not. None of it. Three more successive warrants were obtained, which allowed the FBI to spy on Page for a full year. No evidence of any wrongdoing was ever discovered. Why? Because Page wasn't a Russian agent at all. Just the opposite. He was a patriot who had helped the U.S. government prosecute Russians. And the FBI knew this. Indeed, Page sent a letter directly to Comey explaining his work for our government before Comey ever signed the first warrant application. Comey didn't care. He ignored it. In gaining the spy warrant, James Comey and others at the FBI relied almost entirely on a fictional dossier composed by an ex-British spy, Christopher Steele. It was commissioned and funded by the Hillary Clinton campaign and Democrats, but it was based on purely fabricated stories. Declassified documents show that Comey's FBI knew it all along. His agents had met with Steele's primary source, who promptly debunked the dossier as nothing more than rumors, hearsay, and rank speculation. Some of it was Russian disinformation and wholly discredited. Again, the FBI knew that the dossier was not remotely credible. They had no probable cause for their wiretaps. But that didn't stop them from continuing to spy on Carter Page. Comey, McCabe, and others at the FBI deliberately concealed the evidence of Page's innocence from the FISA court, from Congress, from President Trump, and importantly, from the American people. Instead of telling the truth, instead of being honest, they lied to everyone and perpetrated an historic fraud. After an exhaustive investigation, the Department of Justice's Inspector General uncovered 17 significant errors, deceptions, and misrepresentations in the FISA warrant application, more than 50 of them overall. Now, these were not just innocent mistakes. No, these were deliberate. All of the lies, by the way, went in only one direction, against Donald Trump. Lying to a court and deceiving judges is a crime. It's called perjury. So is hiding exculpatory evidence. It's called obstruction of justice. And when it involves more than one person, it's called a conspiracy to defraud the government. Comey, McCabe, and Strzok, and all the other at the FBI who were involved in such illegal acts should have been arrested, charged, prosecuted, and convicted. Criminal referrals against Comey and McCabe went nowhere, which is suspicious in and of itself. It's a grave injustice whenever justice is subverted. What happened to Carter Page was tragic. He was persecuted 
by malevolent and powerful unelected officials in our own government. They falsely accused an innocent man, and by obtaining an unlawful warrant to spy on him, they violated his Fourth Amendment right against unreasonable search and seizure. It will certainly help Carter Page in his $75 million lawsuit that four of the individuals who signed off on the FISA warrant applications, Comey, McKay, and Justice Department officials Sally Yates and Rod Rosenstein, a.k.a. the Weasel, have since been forced to admit in their testimony before Congress that they would not do so again in retrospect. Knowing then what you know now about all the things that we've come to find, would you have still signed the warrant application against Carter Page? No, I would want a much more complete understanding of what we were. Thank you very much. If you knew then what you know now, would you have signed the warrant application in June of 2017 against Carter Page? Uh, No, sir. You signed that warrant application in October and January, is that correct? That's right. Knowing now, knowing then what you know now, would you sign that application? Senator, I would never sign any document. So I take that to be a no, because that document was a fraud. Is that a fair statement? If you knew then what you know now, you wouldn't have signed it? I wouldn't sign anything that I knew to contain errors or omissions. Well, did that contain errors and omissions? Yeah, and I would never knowingly sign a document. Right. I, I didn't do that in the 27 years. I, I was believe you didn't that. know. I believe you didn't know that what you signed was wrong. The question is, if you had known, you wouldn't sign it. Is that correct? No, if I had known that it contained incorrect information, I, I certainly wouldn't have signed it. Thank you. And do you agree with me it did contain incorrect information? I, I know that now based on the Horowitz report. That's all I'm trying to say. I'm not saying that you lied to the court. I'm saying you signed something that was a lie and you didn't know it. You signed a warrant application in June of, uh, I think, 2017 to get the uh, Carter Page warrant renewed. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, Have you looked at the Horowitz report? Yes, I have. I have it with me, Senator. If you knew then what you know now, would you have signed the warrant application? No, I would not. And the reason you wouldn't have is because... Mr. Horowitz found that exculpatory information was withheld from the court. Is that correct? Among other reasons, yes. Yeah, and somebody actually altered an email. Correct. Right. right. Carter Page's only recourse now is to sue the people and the government that committed such grievous wrongs. Doing so will help pull back the curtain on the Russia hoax, the dirtiest political trick in American history. I think it's going to be a a very long battle ahead, but I think one that's going to be extremely important for where our country needs to go. The other person who became collateral damage in the Trump-Russia collusion lie was General Michael Flynn. Days ago, President Trump issued a full pardon to Flynn, which he's authorized to do under the Constitution. Predictably, like Pavlov's dogs, the media and Democrats howled in protest. They denounced the pardon as a grave injustice. The collective hysteria was deafening. The truth is, Michael Flynn was the victim of a grave injustice, and President Trump was merely righting a monstrous wrong. Flynn's only crime was his association with Donald Trump, which is no crime at all. 
The FBI spent months monitoring Flynn during the 2016 election. They found absolutely nothing. He was not an agent of Russia. But a pivotal moment occurred in December 2016. As the incoming national security advisor, Flynn spoke by telephone with Russian ambassador Sergei Kislyak during the transition. Now, this is not at all uncommon. It's certainly not illegal. All transitions do this. In fact, Joe Biden's team has been doing it since shortly after the 2020 election. But that didn't stop the corrupt FBI from targeting Flynn yet again. They lied to him and entrapped him. James Comey later laughed about it. You look at this White House now and it's hard to imagine two FBI agents ending up in the state room. How did that happen? I sent them. Um, <laughs> Um, something we, I probably wouldn't have done or maybe gotten away with in a more organized investigation, a more organized administration. The FBI wanted to send agents into the White House itself to interview a senior official. You would work through the White House counsel and there'd be discussions and approvals and who would be there. And I thought it's early enough. Let's just send a couple guys over. <laughs> When special counsel Robert Mueller took over, his out-of-control prosecutors zeroed in on Flynn with a vengeance. They concealed exculpatory evidence of his innocence as they exploited the full might and unlimited resources of the federal government to drive Flynn to the brink of bankruptcy. They forced him to sell his home. They threatened to imprison his son on inflated and phony charges. Mueller's prosecutors engaged in atrocious misconduct in violation of all accepted standards of law and decency. How do we know this? Unsealed documents prove that Flynn was set up and framed by none other than Comey, Andrew McCabe, and Peter Strzok. And then, under a torrent of threats and duress, Mueller's prosecutors coerced Flynn into a guilty plea. Under the law, a forced plea is no plea at all. The two FBI agents who were sent in by Comey and McCabe to the White House to interview Flynn, and one of them was Peter Strzok, did so under false pretenses. Yet they concluded that Flynn did not lie at all. They wrote it down in their notes. It was confirmed in their report and reconfirmed in another FBI report. But those records were conveniently buried. Their mysterious suppression allowed Bob Mueller and his prosecutors to charge Flynn with lying to the FBI, even though Flynn did not. Fast forward two years. A belated review by the Justice Department discovered these smoking gun documents that had been buried. Armed with the new evidence of his innocence, Flynn attempted to withdraw his guilty plea. New prosecutors at the DOJ endorsed that idea. Indeed, they filed their own motion to dismiss all charges against Michael Flynn, admitting that the case against him should never have been brought by Bob Mueller because there was no evidence that he did anything wrong. Remarkably, a U.S. district judge by the name of Emmett Sullivan balked at the idea of dismissing the case. 
Instead of punishing the government actors who fabricated the case against Michael Flynn, Judge Sullivan proposed that he might manufacture a new charge of perjury contempt against the defendant because Flynn had the temerity to try to withdraw his plea. At one point, the judge became so brazenly antagonistic, he accused the distinguished three-star general of committing treason. There was no evidence to justify such an absurd allegation. Sullivan was acting as a prosecutor, not a judge, usurping the power of the executive branch. He was not a neutral or objective jurist dedicated to following the law. No, he's an abusive and rogue judge with an agenda, the personification of judicial bias and a disgrace to the federal bench. In September, a higher court instructed Sullivan to clean up his act and rule on the dismissal motion with dispatch. Sullivan arrogantly ignored the order. He refused to act, obviously trying to run out the clock until the presidential election, hoping that Joe Biden would win. Faced with the prospect that a new Department of Justice might somehow resurrect the persecution of Michael Flynn, Trump had no choice but to issue a full pardon. He knew that Flynn never broke the law. The retired general was a victim of political harassment, of vindictive prosecution, and shocking judicial abuse. He should have been vindicated in a court of law. Trump's pardon was a last resort. What happened to Michael Flynn was a gross injustice. It's an ugly stain on our system of justice. Yet it reminds me of what the legendary criminal defense attorney Clarence Darrow said toward the end of his life. The law is a horrible business, said Darrow. There is no such thing as justice in or out of court. I'm reluctant to admit it, but Darrow was right. All too often, those we entrust to enforce the law are the ones who break it. Facts are invented or exaggerated. Laws are perverted or ignored. High government officials abuse their position of power to subvert our system of justice for political gain. And prosecutors, emboldened by their unfettered authority, abandon all sense of fairness they forsake their ethical duty to see that justice is done. And that is the real tragedy. That's The Brief. I'm Greg Jarrett. Thanks for joining us.